to our worship team. Uh, passed here yesterday morning at about 10, 15 or so. <clears throat> and our worship team was preparing and practicing for today. And uh, just want to thank you all for being a part of our worship team. And um, grateful that Dale has been able to experience some healing. Ain't it good when you actually pray for something and you see a little shift, you see a little change, you see some improvement. Uh, it's exciting. I mean, God's going to move whether we pray or not. But it's nice that we get in alignment with what he's doing in others' lives and our lives. Amen? So you want to turn your Bibles to Ephesians. We are in chapter 6. We're going to finish chapter 6 today. I'm not going to teach on every verse from 11 to 23, I believe. Um, but we're going to cover uh, primarily the armor of God um, today. Um, I'm going to try and not babble a lot. I'm going to try and stick to script. So we can actually get finished. We've been saying we're going to finish Ephesians since 2016. And um, we're going to blame the delay on COVID. No, I'm just joking. But um, I think we started sometime in November. So I uh, actually know of a church that was viewing another pastor. A pastor was going, um, potentially moving to another church in view of a call. And they, they learned that this pastor had taken like three years. Uh, to preach through Ephesians, and they said, wait up, that's just a little too long, you know, a little too long. So I'm not afraid of a, a church or a pastor or, you know, who preaches or teaches word by word and, and sentence by sentence. There, there's value in that, right? You get a chance to really grow. You get a chance to really understand the context in which it was written and how it is meant to stay as is and also how it's meant to be applied to our lives today. Um, because we think a lot of things are new in today's world, in today's society. Um, but in context, there's really nothing new under the sun. Sin has always been sin. Amen? Um, and the problem is uh, church folk, Christian folk, have even more so uh, adapted their lifestyles to enjoy sin and yet enjoy what they perceive is the benefits of having faith in God. Um, and those two do not, do not hold arms, I promise you. Um, God, God does not like sin. He hates sin. And there's no place in a Christian's life for sin at all. There should be no sin that we tolerate. There should be no sin that we're not uncomfortable with. Amen? And I know sin is not something we like talking about, but we're here on Sundays, and that's one good time where we can. So we're going to start with verse 11 today in Ephesians chapter 6. <clears throat> I'm going to be reading probably all the way until... Let's go to probably, we'll stop at uh, 17, I believe it is. Um, and I have a number of other scriptures that we'll be sharing with you as well. So verse 11 says, what is this? Oh, yes, yes, yes. Thank you so much. Actually, you can just put those in the back. We'll hand those out. Awesome. I'm going to put that right here so we can update you guys on what's coming up next weekend. Um, so verse 11 in chapter 6, it says, put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the schemes of the devil. You guys remember last Sunday how I gave you a little example of what it means to stand and how the devil can push you around or push us around and we're not stable footed. And that also showed the difference in that we stand against the schemes of the enemy that God gives us that supernatural power because he is 
He is power, remember? Um, and how you're able to stand against the enemy, and then he's not able to move in your life in certain ways. So one of the things I didn't share last week is that some of the tactics of the enemy are intimidation and insinuation. Satan, one of his tactics is to intimidate you, to let you think or to lead you to think that your problems are bigger than you are. Your problems are going to be larger than you can handle. So he intimidates you and he tells you that, that maybe you're not strong enough. You're not, you're not that good of a Christian as you thought you were. Then he begins to insinuate that God has abandoned you. God is a little more preoccupied with other people, better Christians. And he insinuates these things. And he insinuates, you know, God's just left you alone. And that's some of his schemes. He plays the bully. Satan plays the bully, and he also plays the beguiler. So he, he always tries to use little tactics that are conniving, and he uses um, influence by trickery, and he, and he causes you to think things that really aren't godly, but yet you think they're God's character or they're God's nature or that because God would respond to us the way we would respond to other people, right? And no, that is wrong. God does not respond. His ways are not our ways, and his thoughts are not our thoughts. There are many times if we would have been in God's shoes, there would have been a lot of people's heads pinched off, right? We would just blink, and they would just disappear. But our, our ways aren't God's ways, and his ways are not ours. Thank God for that. But Satan tries to bully you, and he tries to beguile. He tries to influence you. He flatters you sometimes and tells you that you're better than you think you are. But he tells you you're better than you think you are at certain areas so he can build up your pride. And when you begin to get steadfast and stern and strong in who you think you are and the pride of your flesh, God says, no, I need to go ahead and humble you. Anybody ever been there before? I have. I have. So he tries to use these tactics. Another scheme of Satan is force and fraud. Have you ever noticed that in your life? Have you ever noticed that Satan will force his way into your emotions. He will force his way into your thoughts. He will force his way into areas that you try to deem and give to God, but he forced his way in there. And then he presents this fraudulent landscape or this fraud image. Have you ever noticed that? And I think about that actually ties into what we see in our world with corrupt politics they use force and they use fraud and that's how satan tries to work in our spiritual life he's a fraud there are many times where people christians have come to me and said man i'm just really i'm nervous right now i'm confused but i got this great opportunity i got this great opportunity and i really believe it's god i think it's good and i said okay well tell me about it share a little bit more with me about all the details and they share the details and all I see from my side of the table is fraud, 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 counterfeit, counterfeit, counterfeit. Too good to be true. You're going to have to deny your God at some given time. You're going to be out of church. You're going to be out of relationship with your, your church family. And that's all I see. But yet they've been given this counterfeit story, this fraud. And it's, you got to do it now. You got to act now. You got to make this decision now. Have you guys ever learned that before? You learned the hard way? Right. It's force. You got to make a decision now. And it was fraudulent. Satan, that's his schemes. And once you once you you buy that a couple of times, you realize, no, 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 no. I'm going to taste. I'm going to taste. I mean, I'm going to test. Taste to see if the Lord is good. But I'm also going to test 
what's going on here. I'm going to test what's being offered to me. And we're going to learn a little bit more about that, that we are to test the spirits. There's not many times I've seen in my life where God is forcing me to make some decision instantly. There are times where he does, but it's not pushed by fear. You guys know what I'm talking God is a God of peace. He's a God of order. So, yes, there are going to be some times where you have to make a decision, and it is going to be pretty quick, probably because we were lazy on taking in all the clues that he's tried to give us. Um, but you're not going to be forced. You've got to make it right now. You've got to do it right now and intimidate you into doing that decision. God wants to lead us where he wants us to go. Verse 12, for we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the cosmic powers over the present darkness against the spiritual forces of evil in, in the heavenly places. You will see in your share or in this week's reflection, uh, Pastor Mike, he elaborated and taught quite a bit more on all the varieties or levels of darkness, opposition that we face with Satan and his tactics. OK, it has also been said that when Paul wrote this, he was basically like inviting Christians into spiritual warfare. And, and that's not the truth. The truth is, whether you're a Christian or not, whether you believe in the Bible or not, you are engaging, no matter, it's not even, you don't even have to participate in it. Listen, spiritual warfare is happening around you every waking moment, every waking moment. So what the Apostle Paul was elaborating on, what he was stating is that I'm not calling people into spiritual warfare. I am just stating the fact that there is a war at hand right now, and it's for souls. So what I'm doing, Apostle Paul is saying, he said, I'm teaching you how to be ready and to be equipped and what's available to those who follow Christ in the middle of spiritual warfare. He simply announces that it's a fact. He says, we don't, we don't war against flesh and blood, but what we do war against is what he's saying. What we do wrestle against you guys got that? He said, we're all in a spiritual battle. And one of the things that I've noticed in 20-something years of being in church, Christians have not really grasped that, that we war not against flesh and blood. Have you noticed that? Like, we, we want to point out all the wrong that so-and-so did, all the wrong that so-and-so said to us. And many times, it's people within the church quite amazing instead of us seeing as spiritual mature people whoa wait a minute that's out of their character i don't think that's that's their heart like i don't think that well it may be their heart but i'm not going to look at it that way i'm going to see that they're just off, acting out of character i'm going to see this as a spiritual attack because i don't war against my brother in christ i don't war against my sister in christ there's some spiritual um warfare that's going on so instead of me getting upset and getting offended and leaving a church or quit hanging out with my Christian brothers or sisters, I'm going to realize that there is a spiritual war going on. And I'm going to begin praying for my brother. I'm going to be, begin praying for my sister. I'm going to offer myself even more so to their service. Have you ever been there before? You realize that this is a spiritual matter. It's not against flesh and blood. And that's what Paul was trying to reiterate. If you look in 2 Corinthians chapter 10, verses 3 through 4, it says the same thing. That's in Second Corinthians chapter 10, verse 3 through 4. It says, though we walk in the flesh, 
You guys felt that this morning, right? When the alarm went off, when the rooster crowed this morning, you didn't want to get out of bed. When you put your foot down on the floor, you felt an ache or a pain or a crick or right? We wake up, we're in the flesh. 2 Corinthians 10, 34 says, though we walk in the flesh, this is what we do every day, right? We got to go to work by the sweat of our brow, shall we eat, right? We walk in the flesh, but we do not war according to the flesh. One prayer for someone can do a lot more than you can ever dream of doing, for the good or the bad. Just know that we walk in the flesh, but we don't war according to the flesh. Now we can go into, into teaching about what each little bitty spiritual darkness is. I can talk about rulers. I can talk about authorities. I can talk about cosmic powers and the present darkness against the spiritual forces of evil. But what we need to understand that all of these tactics that Apostle Paul is stating, there is one root. There's one cause. There's one driving force. And that is Satan wants to tear you down. Period. You can analyze each and every tactic, each and every way that Satan tries to attack you or attack others or bring others down or trip you up. What you need to understand, he does not take it lightly. He is patient. He will come into your home. He'll come into your life. He'll come into your mind and he will take his sweet time because you take every little step he leads you and you nibble on every little crumb he leaves you. And then you realize at a moment's notice, your life is a wreck. How in the world did things go so wrong? Well, because you remember that time, the conversation you had? Remember that time you let this in your life? And he just, he comes in and he just makes himself at home. And the whole time you're not understanding that he's really out to destroy you. Can I get an amen? But what I want to give you is the Bible does teach a lot about principalities. The Bible does teach a lot about powers in the New Testament. Romans 8, 38, which I love. When he says that no matter what comes against you, nothing shall separate you from the love of God. In Romans 8.30, it talks about principalities. They can't keep you away from God's love. Ephesians chapter 1, verses 20 and 21 tells us that Jesus is enthroned in heaven far, far, far above all principalities and powers. Colossians 1.16 can be very disturbing and quite boggling in the mind. But it tells us that Jesus created principalities and powers. And I've had some pretty intense discussions with people before. Um, what, what, what is it that it says in Colossians 1, 16? It says, for through him, for through him, God created everything in the heavenly realms and on earth. He made the things we can see and the things we can't see, such as thrones, kingdoms, rulers, authorities, in the unseen world, everything was created through him and for him. Now, you're talking about weeks of teaching and explaining this verse. But what I want you to understand is that there is nothing good, bad, ugly, light, darkness that has not been created by God. Do your study. You'll see where Satan came from, right? Do your study. You'll see. I can't explain how and why God uses or allows negative things, bad things, horrific things, demented things, demonic things. But according to Scripture, it says that he is over all. He is the full authority. 
I don't know all the specifics as to why or how. I'm just letting you know that Satan is not the opposite of Jesus. He is under Jesus. Jesus is the full authority. Amen? Colossians 2.10 tells us that Jesus is the head over all principalities and power. Therefore, Jesus is not opposite. He's over. And you continue to read Ephesians chapter 3, verse 10, 11. We've already covered that a couple of weeks ago. tells us that the church, listen, it's our job as followers of Christ. It's our job as followers of Christ. It's our mandate. It's our calling. It's our purpose to make known the wisdom of God to the principalities of powers. That's what Scripture says, that the church is the one who demonstrates to the dark powers, to the principalities and the powers, the act and the power of God. And if we're not living out the glory of God in our lives, then how, how, how is the darkness able to see light? We talked about that a couple weeks ago, right? To walk this way, right? We're supposed to walk in light, walk in love, walk in wisdom, walk in submission. Amen? 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verse 24 tells us that principalities and powers have an end. So though I'm saying that God is in control of everything, Scripture says right here in 1 Corinthians tells us that there's going to be a time where all these powers of darkness come to an end and their purpose will be fulfilled. And God will no longer let them work. He'll no longer let them operate. Therefore, God has eternal victory and he has a purpose for allowing their work in this world. Let's move on to verse 13. He says, taking up the whole armor of God. So Paul is teaching right now, okay, this is the proper response to spiritual warfare. Proper response to spiritual warfare is to not drag somebody out in the street and give them a black eye, right? Have y'all seen this little meme, this little video, this little snippet? It's like a camera in the church and this pastor's there. And somebody talks about like um, sometimes we throw our hands up for the Lord, Right? And this guy comes out of nowhere and just starts dropping bees on the pastor. I'm talking fist fight and everything. And he's like, but the other times we got to drop these hands. Y'all never seen that anyway. But, but it happens in the world today. People come in churches. They shoot people. They come in, start beating up people. You know, listen, we need to understand we don't war that way. Amen? Don't, make, don't, catch, don't let me catch you outside splitting tires and stuff because ain't Sue parked in your spot. Come on now. I see the way some of y'all look at these chairs. Well, who is this sitting in my chair? They know I'm only here once every six weeks, and I better have my chair. There's churches like that. And y'all don't go to them, right? All right, good. So, but just know that we don't war that way. We're going to just trust God that he's going to take care of his own. Amen? So, verse 13 says, Therefore, take up the whole armor of God that you may be able to withstand in the evil day, and having done all... Stand firm. Today's Christians, we don't do all. We don't stand firm. We will just give in to any little bit of pressure. We'll cave in. Yes, 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 I'll just do whatever you want, flesh. Yes, yes, I'll just do whatever you want, Satan. No, we need to carry the whole armor of God so that we can withstand in the evil day. See, God has given his people a call, a mission, a course to fulfill. Yes, you enjoy crochet. Yes, you do cross-stitching. Yes, you fish. Yes, you play Xbox for 80 hours a week. Whatever, the, whatever you do, you may just sit and watch the grass grow. That's cool. But your purpose, 
The reason why God created you was to glorify him and share the good news, the gospel of Jesus Christ with others. We are to stand firm. We have a purpose to fulfill. And Satan is doing his best, and he's doing a really good job of just causing a lot of people not to stand. Listen, it's impossible to stand against the enemy like I showed you last week if you're dancing with the enemy, right? It's hard, it's hard to stand against Satan and how he's working in your lives and the lives of your family if you're dancing with him, if you're being entertained by Satan, if you're being wooed by Satan. We want to make sure that we are taking, uh, taking it serious, that we stand against the schemes of the enemy. I want us to see something as we read further in Scripture that the Apostle Paul, think about this, when he wrote this, he was actually in prison. So he sees the activities of the Roman soldiers on a daily basis, on a probably minute by minute, hour by hour basis. So he sees a lot of repetition. For those of you who have spent some time either in corrections or you spent some time working in corrections, you know that there is a lot that is consistent with pattern, but then there's also intentional shifts and changes that changes the pattern so that those inside don't figure out ways to sneak out and get their way. You know what I'm talking about, right? All right. So Paul's sitting there and he's seeing certain patterns that are going on. And he sees the Roman soldiers and the attire, okay, the armor that they put on every day. He sees that when they get up and they get they, their day started, that there are certain things that they put on as armor. And then there are certain things that they take up, that they pick up and then carry or wear. And there's three things that, that, they, that they put on, and there's three other items that they take up. And we'll see that in just starting now. So in verse 13, he says, take up the whole armor so that you can withstand in the evil day. Okay, so let's go on. These, this is the first thing that he's telling us to put on. Now, in the order that he's telling us to put on, we assume that is the order that we are to put it on in the spiritual realm, the same way the Roman soldiers. He says the first thing the Roman soldiers are to put on is the belt of truth. Now, he could have said the breastplate of righteousness. He could have said, said the shield of faith. He could have said the first thing you do is you grab the sword of the spirit. He could have said that. But maybe there's a reason why the first article of the armor of God is the belt of of truth in verse 14 he says stand therefore having fastened the belt of truth around your waist having girded the belt of truth what does he mean by that well if you look at every aspect of each article there's a reason for it there's this dynamic okay within the christian life that identifies with what the roman soldiers were putting on he says number one having fastened on the belt of truth why of all things. Well, the belt in Latin is known as the cingulum or balteus. Okay? That is the belt. It plays a crucial role in the effectiveness of the soldier's armor. See, the belt was wide. It was strong. It was big. And it also had either metal or leather strips that came down and helped protect the groin area and, and the core of the, the person, the soldier. It protected them, okay? And if that's all they ran around in, they could probably get away without getting a few licks. But there's other articles. But that's the first thing he said you got to wear is you got to have on the belt of truth. Why should they have the belt of truth on? Well, because you have a scabbard, which is where your sword is held. 
So could you imagine a soldier running out to battle, right, trying to hold up his, his pants and, and, his, and, his, and his sword at the same time? It's not going to go well, right? So it's got to start off, i got to have the belt of truth so that I can have my scabbard, so I can have my sword, so my other hands can be free, so I can handle and use other articles to protect or to cause offense to others. And we'll continue to see that as we go a little deeper. Okay, so he has the belt of truth. It's girded around his waist. Why? Why? Because just as you put a belt around you, it doesn't just easily come off. It's bound to you for the rest of this belt I have right here. No matter how I try and declothe myself, the belt's staying. Right? It's not coming off. It's on me all day until I choose to take it off. It doesn't just fall off easily. Well, same thing with the belts of truth. If, you li- if you're living your life according to the truth of God's word, right, there's going to be a lot of things in life that try, try and strip you down emotionally, psychologically, even spiritually or physically. But when you know the truth of God's word, those things can pull. They can tug. You're still staying strong with the truth of God's word that is in you. Does that make sense? The truth, the belt of truth. Another reason why is because the breath, the breastplate of righteousness or other articles would actually attach to the belt. And that's how they would hold everything intact all in one place. If you look at First Thessalonians chapter five, verse 21, another great reason, another great reason why we should wear the belt of truth. Scripture says in First Thessalonians five twenty one to test all things. Mm. Test all things. And it says to hold fast to what is good. Hold fast, guys, to grab a hold. Just like a belt grabs a hold of your waist, you guys can try and pull it off. It's not coming off this way or that way or side. It's not coming off. It says, listen, you need to test everything and hold fast to what is true. Everybody say, hold fast. The thing I've seen in Christian lives is that we hold on to a lot of false things. We don't hold on to what is true. I'll give you an example. If I ask you, how often do you think about bad things people either said or did to you? How easily is it to just tap into it? How easy? Split second. Split second. I could just spin off all kind of horrible things people said or done. It'll make your head spin. Now, how hard is it for you to verbatim tell me the positive, godly, encouraging things people have invested into your life? Much more difficult, right? That's why we need to Spend more time every day when we get up, girding up, belting up truth. What is truth? I am called by God. I have answered the call of God. I am a saint of God. I am a co-heir with Christ. I have been forgiven. I am washed clean. I am righteousness in God. Does that make sense? And the more that I walk in those truths, the more that I identify and I see that's who I identify as, then guess what happens? When all the negativity comes my way, when all the bad thoughts come my way, when all the different types of things Satan tries to tell me I am or am not, 
I can say, shush, for it is written. It is written that I am such and such. I am such and such. We got to test and hold on to what is good. But Christians these days, we hold on to a lot of artificial armor. You know how you can go like to a certain store, costume place, and you get like certain things. They look real, but they're plastic. They won't really defend you in a life or death situation. And that's how that's how we are as Christians. We'll go to church. We'll 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 slap a few scriptures up here and there, right? We'll say, well, I'm praying for you, but are you really are you really living out your life truthfully? Are you really obeying God and his commands? Just think about that. Or are we just wearing this cosmetic costume Christianity? A lot of Christians involved in horoscopes. A lot of them follow everything you read or see on CNN or social media. That's not truth. Uh oh, I'm going to get thrown underneath the bus. What you see on TV or what you read is not truth. It had to go through somebody's eyes, somebody's thought process before billions of dollars were spent to air it. Just helping you all out is <laughs> not truth. There may be some truth. But it, it, it is not the truth. We need to be like the Bereans were, and we search Scripture daily so that we're constantly bringing in truth into our lives. Acts 17, 11 talks about that. Listen, if you're not convinced 100% that what you believe, what you follow in the Bible, if you don't believe it's 100% truth, you're going to find yourself in the wrong direction. You're going to find yourself not wearing the belt of truth. You're going to find yourself not being prepared when spiritual warfare really does come your way. Listen, we have to have this holy conviction that we're going to either live according to the word or we're going to abandon it. That is it. Jesus says you can't serve two, two masters. Jesus says you're either for me or against me. There's no you could just ride or die, hang out with me. He said you're either for me or you're against me. You make that decision. Let's go on to the second article. Having put on the breastplate of righteousness. The breastplate has a central part of the Roman soldier's armor, and it covers the vitals. Everybody say vitals. It protects the torso. You have the heart, the lungs, okay? Um, without the breastplate, a soldier would be asking for immediate death. Just think about that. Any attack without a breastplate of righteousness could potentially be severe, right? Right? So what does a breastplate of righteousness have to do with us little Christians? Well, if you think about it, any little blow to our spiritual walk could literally take us out. Have you found that with yourself? When something happens spiritually that you weren't protected, next thing you know, you just, I'm not going to church. I'm not praying anymore. I'm not reading God. I'm not reading the scripture. This should have never happened. I thought I gave my life to God and all this stuff would be gone. I can't tell you how many times that's happened to me. Here I am marrying a beautiful Christian woman. And like two and a half months later, she's in a hospital bed, in ICU for two and a half weeks 
specialists coming all the way from Houston to Bill Platt, Louisiana, trying to figure out how to keep my wife alive at 17 years old, and I'm 19, and I'm new to this Christian thing, and I'm like, God, this is how you do people? Like, this is what you do? You woo them in and say, give your heart to me, give your life to me, and let me give you this Christian example, this godly woman and her family, and then you just try and just take her from me? I got so angry. I got so angry at God. I'm like, forget this. I'm going to go back to the other stuff I was doing because I didn't have all this. Anybody else been that way before? And it's happened repeated times, not with my wife, but other situations where it's been tempting to say, you know what, God, you're not cut out what you say you are to be. And the problem is I was given false doctrine. I was reading only the verses that made me feel good. Thank God for his patience and his truth. Everybody say truth. Breastplate of righteousness. Let's go back to that. Now, righteousness is not something that you can earn. You don't earn righteousness. Righteousness is not a feeling. When you felt like you were on fire for God, when you thought you were just jiving, walking in the, in the flow, guess what? That's a feeling. That's an experience. Those feelings and those experiences You've seen they come and they go. So your righteousness is, is not based on how close you feel with God or how on fire you feel with God or how passionate you are about following God or spreading the gospel. Your righteousness, <coughs> you guys, excuse me. I'm not sick. I'm just not drinking enough. Your righteousness is based on what Jesus did on the cross for you. That's what our righteousness is based on. We have no righteousness. On our best day, the day we get saved, the day we get baptized, the day we surrender everything to God, we still don't have any level of righteousness that would earn us the ability to thwart off the plans and attacks of Satan. Our righteousness is only found in Christ. Isaiah 59, 1 through 2 says what? About us being separated from God. It has to do with our sin. Okay? It says, behold, the Lord's hand is not shortened. He's not, his arm is not too short to save. His ear is not too dull to hear. Therefore, he cannot hear. It says right now that your iniquities have separated you from your God. Your sins have hidden his face from you so that he will not hear. Our feelings of righteousness will come and go. A lot of times we'll tell Satan, look what I did for God. Look at all that I've given to God. Look at all that I've surrendered to God. And we have these feelings, these experiences. But as I said earlier, they change quickly. When you put on the breastplate of righteousness, it is stating I, my heart is protected by God. If I have righteousness, it's only because of the grace of God. It's only because of the power of God that is manifesting in my life that I am able to protect myself. Amen. I thank God for his righteousness. I thank God because it protects my heart because there are many times where I feel weak and I feel like I'm, I'm wanting to just give in. And the breastplate of righteousness says, no, you are mine. I will protect you. I want to give you guys something to think about. Okay. So I want you to take some time for introspection. Think about the laws of God that you haven't really abided by. You haven't uh, followed. Maybe you've given some areas of compromise to. 
those are times where your breastplate of righteousness, if it was based on your own righteousness, it would kind of get loose. It would probably be taken off or fall off. We can't expect it to stay securely fastened unless we remain true to the commands and the guidance of God's word. Once you identify your weak areas, it's always good to assess. Be honest with yourself. If you see weak areas in your life spiritually, don't just say it's okay. Don't just say other Christians deal with it. It's common. Don't say those things. Address it. Repent. Really ask God to come in and give you the ability to turn away from those things, to walk in obedience. Because when you walk in obedience, then you begin to see the more righteousness of God manifest in your life. Everybody say, the breastplate of righteousness protects my heart. Let's go to verse 15. And the shoes for your feet, having put on the readiness given by the gospel of peace, having shod, it's another different translation, your feet with the preparation of the gospel of peace. We can simplify and just say, number three, the article of clothing, the armor of God that Apostle Paul is telling me to put on are shoes fitted with the gospel of peace. Why did the Roman soldiers have shoes well we can go into details about the type of shoes they were like sandals um, but they had it like high tops they kind of strengthened up the ankles a little bit there's also reference or record that the bottom of the sandals had little bitty spikes that were embedded to give them really good traction okay they they had to be sure-footed could you imagine the most well-built strong soldier the well the most trained soldier the most armored soldier, right? He could kick some serious tail. He could do some damage to the opponent, right? But you take off his shoes and you put him walking across. What's those things we have in Florida? Say it louder. Say it louder. What happens to that Roman soldier? <clears throat> he, he's, he's going down. He's either going down or he's high-stepping or walking on one pinky toe or whatever the case is. Listen, as Christians, we have to be sure-footed. We have to be protected. You can have all the other articles, right? You can show them off and you can use them. But if you go into uncharted territory or you get a little distracted, like many Christians do, and you get derailed, guess what happens to your feet? Thank you, Harley. You're a blessing. This lemon water is getting to me, and whoever sets the heaters on 100 is killing me. I didn't say who did it. I just. <coughs> just How many of you guys like your heater set on 100? Don't invite me to your house. Yeah, Sean, that dude walks on, gets on a job. I swear he's like an Eskimo. You got to peel like layers back just to see his face. Oh, that's you. And I'm sitting there in T-shirts and shorts. I'm burning up right now, but it's all good. We're going to make it through this. I'm going to preach as fast as I can because I'm ready to just. (laughs) Let's get back to it, okay? We got to be sure-footed. They wore these sandals, okay? They can't fight effective. They can't handle business if their feet are hurting or they're unprotected. But that's just the physical side of it, okay? We have to understand that the word preparation that you see in Scripture, preparation, um, the gift 
Um, the preparation, the peace that the gospel offers basically means a prepared foundation. It, there's been time and, and thought process invested in forming a foundation. So you want to make sure that your foundation is protected. You want to make sure that you are sure-footed. You want to make sure that you're walking in the right direction when it comes to being protected. Well, the gospel provides that protection. The gospel is your foundation. Everything in life is based on the gospel. You wouldn't be where you are today, right now, sitting in this room or listening online or watching on videos. You would not be here if it had not been for the gospel. You guys got that. For those of you who are saved, for those of you who have felt the Spirit of God lure you and pull you into a relationship, that would not be possible without the good news of salvation in Christ somehow making its way to you. He says that we need to have our feet fitted. There needs to be preparation. Our feet fitted with the gospel of peace. Just know this. I, as a Christian, need to be walking in peace. Have you ever tried sharing the gospel when you were angry at the person? It felt good. <laughs> Whew, they needed to hear that. Boy, those lashes and using those scriptures to just slice and dice them. The Bible is sharper than any two-edged sword. You know, and you just tell them all the sin they got in their life. And you're angry at their sin because you got this righteous anger rising up inside of you. I could tell that to a few stubborn men in, in church. You know what I mean? I could. But it don't go everywhere. Right? We got to carry the gospel in peace. Another thing, too, is how can we live out our Christian life if we don't have peace? That's one of the areas that Satan tries to attack every single follower. He wants to steal. He wants to disrupt. He wants to cause cracks and voids in your peace. Because if you don't have peace, what happens? You get dismayed. All of these things are used by Satan. We want to be at peace with God. Amen? I want to read something to you. Of all the things the enemy seeks to steal, kill, and destroy in your life, peace is at the top of his list. The enemy intentionally stirs up discord, division, disruption, and disturbance, both within you and all around you. Can you see that in your life at different times? There's just constant discord, division, disruption. And because if we're walking in the flesh, we only see the flesh and we get angry at the flesh. But Paul says we don't war that way. We have to understand that there's something behind what's going on in your life. Satan is the lord of chaos and confusion, using every opportunity to upset your sense of well-being and stability, especially if you pose a threat to his kingdom. Especially if you're being a witness to other people, look out. He's got all eyes on you, and he will unleash a few different plans of attack. And we will fall to them if we're not walking in peace. Paul did not just write about the armor of God. He was wearing the armor of God. When he's writing this in prison, can you imagine? He, he still had 100% peace. He knew he was going to be killed. He knew things were going to happen 
that not everybody gets excited about on Sunday mornings that's going to happen to Christians. He knew it was going to happen, but yet he had peace because the gospel had done such a work in his life. And he knew that the gospel that he shared with others had already done such a great work in their lives. Guys, we need to understand that rough things may come. Hard times may come. There may be some difficult situations you may never even imagine you can get out of. But if you have your feet fitted with the readiness of the gospel of peace, you can navigate, you can walk through those hard times, those struggling, those, those saying what? Spur times when you're walking in peace. Think about all the miles Apostle Paul walked in those sandals. He knew all about it. Let's go to verse 16. So we've already named three things that we are to put on. We are to put on the what? Belt of truth. All right, we've got to know what we believe. We've got to believe what we believe. We've got to walk in the truth of God's word. What's the next thing? Breastplate of righteousness. There is no good in me. The only good that's in me is through Christ. So if I'm going to be protecting myself against spiritual warfare, I need to know who I am and whose I am and what God's called me to be. I need to walk in that and it be a breastplate of righteousness. And the third thing is what? I got to have the feet ready, fitted to share the gospel of peace. That's the things that I wear. Now, here are the three things that I take up. Take up what? Take up the shield of faith with which can extinguish all. Everybody say all. All the flaming darts of the evil one. And I know there's some times where a couple flaming darts get past my shield of faith. And it's because I'm not holding it up. It's because I'm not taking it up. What good is a shield of faith hanging on a wall or laying on the floor? It's just a conversation piece. I've done it. Some of you come into my spiritual life. Hey, look, would you look at my shield of faith? I used to, I, I used to have faith. I used to pray for people. They were healed. I used to pray for God to move mountains. And guess what? The mountains were moved. Look at my shield of faith. No, it, that does no good. And if you go and study the actual shield of faith, the shield that the Roman soldiers used to use, it has this unique name. It's called a scutum, okay? And it was about three and a half to four feet tall, and it had this concave to it. So it was rounded. And the reason why it was rounded so it, that it could easily deflect arrows or swords that are coming or javelins that are coming against the Roman soldier. So it was rounded to deflect the plan and schemes of the enemy. Now, another specific thing that stands out about this one shield is like right in the middle, they had this big, large steel knob, and they called it a boss, B-O-S-S. -S. So if you ever feel like your boss is steel-headed, just think of the boss on the shield of faith, okay? Um, but so this big knob, they started putting it on there because it actually, even if they didn't have a sword, it could serve as an offensive measure. So I can hit you with just a shield, and it may, knock, it may knock you back just a tad. But if I have this big boss, this big knob right in the middle, big stainless steel, and I hit you with it, it might snap bones. It might fracture ribs. It might take the wind out of you, right? So they started using that. Another thing, too, is whenever you have an opponent coming to attack you, not only because it's rounded, it's deflecting the attacks of the enemy, but just imagine when that soldier comes against you and you pick up the shield of faith and it hits the boss, what happens? Have you ever had, there you go, that man's been around this world a while. <laughs> you get something that has a steel handle, and with all of your might, you hit something else, 
of matching or greater density, your pinky toes will vibrate on the ground. No, 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 no. You've seen the cartoons. But just imagine they feel the blow. It damages their, their sword. Make sense? So we pick up the shield of faith. Listen, that is, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me, right? When you pick up the shield of faith, it says, you know what? I may be diagnosed with cancer. I may be diagnosed with Bell's palsy. But my shield of faith says, you know what? I'm going to hold it up in front of me, and I, it's going to protect me from even more future darts that are still coming my way. And not only that, but I'm going to walk forward against the reports. Because even though there may be some weapons that are formed against me in this physical life, in this physical body, they will not eternally prosper. You guys understand that? The enemy may attack you, but it's not eternal unless you let him have that eternal ground in your life. This is just a temporary life that we live in. So if you get attacked that way, just understand, hold up your shield of faith. First Thessalonians. Well, I'm not going to go there yet. I'm going to jump over to um, just think about all the accusations, all the thoughts, all the feelings that come across to us. All the words that have been said by other people to just try and destroy you. Hold up your shield of faith. Know that that is not of God. Amen. Everybody say that is not of God. Accusations, slander, gossip. Faith turns them back. It reflects. You know how when you were a kid, what was that little, that little saying we used to say, uh, sticks and stones may break my bones, but words will never hurt me? Or somebody would tell you something and you say something like, come on, I need some young people come out and say it. What is it? I'm rubber, you glue, whatever you say sticks back to you. <laughs> Bounces off of me. There you go, y'all got kids. I've been, I've been, I'm old. Your shield of faith does that. It says, you know, you may come against me, but my God shall supply all my needs according to his riches and glory. Amen. Verse 17 gives us the fifth article that we should take up, and that is the helmet of salvation. Everybody say helmet of salvation. Salvation in the New Testament generally is used for referring to deliverance from eternal, eternal death penalty of the sin and delivering us from that. That's what salvation is. I'm just to paraphrase to get it as fast as I can. But the, the helmet of salvation is to also protect us from the thoughts that come across our lives. We need to understand that my eternity is secure in the hands of Christ. Matthew 10, 22, Jesus even says, he says, listen, he said, you will be hated by all. You will be hated by all for my name's sake. But he who endures till the end will be saved. Doesn't that make you feel good? There's going to be people that turned against you. There's going to be people that attack you. Listen, Jesus said they're doing it because you're following me. They're doing it because they hate you in me is what he's saying. Or hating me in you. Our ultimate salvation really depends on whether or not we endure it till the end. We have to stay close. We have to hold fast to Christ. Paul even said it in Romans 8, 18. This is what he says. He said, the sufferings of this present life, he says, they're not worthy to be compared to the glory which 
God has revealed or shall be revealed to us. So the helmet of salvation says, I know that I am saved. I know that I am washed and cleansed by the blood of Jesus. And I know that this life is but a vapor. This is not my eternal destination. I know that I am a foreigner in a foreign land, but I've been sent here. I've been given eternal life so that I can share the truth of God's word with other people and lead them to Christ. And I'm trying to squeeze everything I can into the last two minutes. The sixth article of the armor of God is last but not least. The sword of the spirit. Everybody say the sword of the spirit. (sighs) You have to have some fashion, some shape, some continual deposit of the word of God in your life. And Sunday morning is not the way to do it. It is not the best way. It's not the only way. We're grateful that you're here. We're grateful that you're listening to preaching and teaching of God's words, but I'm going to tell you, you will fall greatly. You will fall greatly if you don't have personal spiritual discipline of being in God's word. Imagine this, guys. If you came every Sunday morning, just like Apostle Paul was teaching about the articles, the armor of God, you put on this, you put on that, you take up this, you take up that. And let's just say he didn't really value or end with the sword of the spirit right we would all be well armored right we would be well armored but what type of damage or offending power would you do to your opponent you might break an arm you might trip him up you can hit him with the boss but you're not really severing anything right and I shared this morning that without the, without the sword of the spirit, spiritually, we're like armadillos. We're like roly-polies, right? Are you scared of armadillos? Now, some of y'all are, but I'm not. But are you scared of roly-polies? Listen, that's how we are spiritually if we don't have the word of God. It is the only thing, in my opinion... That makes the devil second guess what what exactly is going on here? Because I used to come at him or her and they would just whoop like a roly poly. And I just that's what the devil does. He plays soccer with your little Christian protection. But when you start using the word of God, just like Jesus did when he was tempted by Satan in the wilderness, he didn't say, I have held 13 doors open for all the crippled women in the town. Jesus didn't say that, right? He didn't say, oh, I've prayed for people and they've been healed. I've touched blind eyes and they see the lame have walked because of me. Jesus didn't do that, did he? How did he respond to the attack of Satan in his physical life? He said, for it is written. He started quoting scripture. He started quoting scripture. That is the way we offend. That is the way we do Satan any damage is when we rely on the truth of God's word. We have the sword of the spirit. Notice it doesn't say just the sword. It says the sword of the spirit of God. It's the spirit that gives you the ability to use the sword. Everybody say it is written. So in order for us as Christians to be well-dressed for spiritual warfare, 
we have six things that we need to wear, right? We need to put on the belt of truth. We need to put on the breastplate of righteousness. We need to put on the shoes of peace. And then we need to take up, and don't just carry, but we need to raise. We need to take up the shield of faith. We need to take up and put, up, put on the helmet of salvation, which protects our thoughts. And we need to also carry, swing around like a madman, Star Wars figure, the sword of the spirit. I don't care if you only know one scripture. You wave that little nubby thing around like you mean it, right? I know John 3.16. But it helps if you learn more scripture. You start waving around a three-foot sword. Amen? You start waving around a ten-foot sword. You start waving around a sword, you got to carry on a wheelbarrow. That's because you got so much of God's word in you. And I'm being joking with you guys, but take it serious. You will not... You will not have a victorious Christian life if you do not have the armor of God. And as we've been teaching and walking through this, I'm sure you've been able to see in your life how many attacks Satan has succeeded in your life. It's not because so-and-so is better at hurting you. It's not because so-and-so is more demented and sick and rude and hateful and jacked up and messed up and twisted up. No, it's because... We live in a spiritual world. We're in spiritual warfare, right? And you're not protected. So get in God's word. Start putting on these articles, taking up and putting on so you can start putting the devil in his place. Amen? Because remember that in the end, God wins no matter what. Father, we ask right now, Lord, that you would be with us. Lord, that you would um, create a hunger inside of us that this week we would spend more time in our personal lives, God. Reading, studying, praying, looking at the type of armor that we put on every day. What, what in our life are we putting on that is false, that is not of you? It doesn't even come from your word, God. And we're just faithfully, religiously putting these things on. God, help us to lay those down and help us to only put on what can, God, allow us, enable us to walk in victory God, to be you. God, you created us in your image, and we can never do it on our own. So, God, we ask that your Holy Spirit right now empowers us, quickens us, so that we can be victorious in this walk. If there's someone here this morning, God, that has not accepted you as their Savior, they haven't entrusted you, they haven't really devoted their lives to obeying your commands, your teaching. God, I pray that this morning would, the mor would be the morning that they give their lives to you. There's nothing magical in this prayer. The only thing magical, the only thing powerful is your level of submission. And God, we submit our lives to you. God, have your way in my life. I am nothing without you, even on my best day. I ask you to be my Lord, be my Savior. I want to be all that I can be in you. Change me, mold me. I look forward, God, to having more of you in my life. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. I do have a little bit of good news for you guys. Last week, I told you some bad news was that um, the offer we put in for the commercial building 
that we're looking at, they said, no, we still have not got an update on what no means. 